Hello, my name's Georgia. And my name's Alana. Welcome to episode 8 of Listen to This. So we've got another instalment of our remote episodes. This is the lockdown series. We should have done like, this is lockdown, listen to this. (laughs) Oh, oh, maybe we should (laughs) rebrand. Yeah. We should put a little padlock on our logo (laughs) and we're good to go. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who knows when we're going to be recording in person again. I know, it all depends on Boris's announcement next week, whether we'll be able to see each other again. single tear (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, I think we've sort of got used to this remote thing so hopefully the sound's okay yeah I don't think the last one sounded too bad it was an absolute bitch to edit was it oh no I could just hear my like breathing oh it was so I was trying to chop out each of our breathing and like each of us trying to talk when the other one was trying to talk because there's like a slight delay as well. Mm-hmm. So like at the end as well, our responses were so like delayed. Obviously I had to cut like the gap. <laughs> it'd be like, you'd say something and then there'd be like a five second gap and I'd go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we're powering through, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get used to it. Uh, as soon as we get used to it, it'll just go back to being in person again, but. Yeah, <laughs> at least we know we can do it. <laughs> or just like do it through a window, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't winter, that would really work. I know, but it's cold. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. Another eight episodes down. Doing pretty alright. Yeah, in the flow now. I feel so. Yeah, it's it's my turn. It's about to be my turn this week. Ooh. And I tell you what, I have. A heck of a story, honestly. I I don't think I've ever like written so much in a notepad since like <laughs> my school days. <laughs> it's like after the summer holidays and you can't remember how to write. <laughs> Literally. My I, I wouldn't want to show any pictures of my notebook because it is horrific. Um I'm not even sure I'm gonna be able to read my own handwriting, but we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um so I've got a bit of a I I guess it's a bit of a journey of the evolution of kind of a duo um a musical duo so they're most famously known i believe as the klf but i'm kind of going to get into that a bit later and i'll let you know what what that means and all that kind of stuff but yeah so it's two people we've got bill drummond and jimmy courty i think that's how i how you say his name but i i may just miss say it this whole episode but I feel like anyway pronunciation isn't our strong suit it really isn't and our accents don't help <laughs> I feel I I listen back to our things and I'm like oh god we both say so much stuff wrong it's it's fine I'm real just blame it's me. fine nobody notices I'm only friendly accent <laughs> yeah so yeah I, I'm just gonna give a bit a bit of a background to both of those first so individually uh Bill Drummond he is uh from Scotland and he kind of entered the kind of media industry in the 70s he was like a set designer for like a production of something called 
the Illuminatus trilogy, which I'm going to have to touch on as well, because Ooh. that's some kind of weird cult thing that's a the- a running theme throughout all of this. Oh, that's intriguing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he also, um, he co-founded like a couple of bands. So a band called uh, Big in Japan. He uh, managed Echo and the Bunny Men. You might have heard of them. Oh, yeah. um, they were quite like famous back in the day. Um, and I think they tour quite a lot now. And also a band called Tear- uh, The Teardrop Explodes. And he also started working for Warner Music Group, I think. And um, he-, he kind of didn't really do very well while he was there. He was like an A&R person recruiting bands. But he said that he basically recruited loads of bands and lost a lot of money when he, <laughs> when he was there. But one of the bands that he recruited was a band called Brilliant, which I think is a weird band name. Um, you kind of... You're opening yourself up to a lot of jokes if you're not very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure they actually were. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if it's ironic. When you said big in Japan, I was like, were they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't, I didn't dive that deep, but uh, I hope they were. So yeah, he signed this band called Brilliant. And that's kind of where Jimmy Corti comes in because Jimmy was part of that band. So Jimmy's background is he's from Cheshire. In like the 80s, he was in um, a couple of bands, one called Angels 1 to 5. I don't know why they've got all got weird <laughs> band names. And he joined Brilliant in 82, I believe. And um, he was with them until they broke up in 86. He was also in a band called Zodiac, Mind Warp and The Love Reaction. I'm loving these which, names. I mean, uh, just back in the day, they, they brought out the best band names. <laughs> They're just basic now, I feel. And... Yeah, I guess when he joined Brilliant was how he met Bill Drummond. But it was actually Bill's idea to start a new band after he'd kind of had a bit of solo material and it, you know, it did all right, but he wasn't really doing so well with it. Um, So actually on New Year's Day, he was like, I want to make a hip hop record. So he was like, who do I know who's like on my vibe? And he thought of Jimmy Corti. So he like he said that he rang him up. And he was just like, look, I want to start a band and I want to call them the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo. <laughs> yes, this is real. <laughs> is he still drunk from the night before? <laughs> I think so. But basically where that kind of comes into play, uh, that, that that band name links back to this Illuminatus trilogy I mentioned before that was kind of this cult thing. So I'm just going to give a quick summarization of the Illuminators trilogy <laughs> which uh I, this story I feel like just has so many tangents so so this bear is, with me this is the tv show he worked on it, yeah it was like a um like a stage production oh. but it's based on it was based on some books so yeah it's a trilogy of books published in 1975 it's described as a satirical postmodern science fiction adventure story which in itself is a is a lot it it basically explores like i i don't even i didn't understand the plot i read the plot (laughs) summary and i was like what on earth but i think it follows these like people that they go on this like adventure and they explore all these kind of different conspiracy theories it's got like themes of like real conspiracy theories it's got a bit of like a cult vibe to it but it's all about like the battle against the illuminati <laughs> and um so relevant today yeah 
Yeah. And they go against this giant pyramid shaped sea monster. Spoiler alert in the end. Oh, God. <laughs> I was going to read them. And it, it explores the theme of, um, which I had to Google because I didn't know what this was, um, Discordianism. What's that? So it's a parody religion that's the belief in which chaos is thought to be just as important as order. So I, I don't think it's actually a real religion, but people do follow it. And I think it's like, like I said, it's a bit of a cult thing. But there's those of like weird parts of this series of books. And one of them is the justified ancients of Mamu, which is, I think they're the people who like love all the conspiracy theories in the book. I, I don't know. It's very strange. <laughs> um, but they're the ones that like start them or something like that. So obviously Bill was a fan of the books and I believe so was Jimmy. So he was like, I'm going to start a band, but we're going to be called the Justified Ancients of Mumu. So for short, the jams, which is a bit of a better <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of what the Illuminatus trilogy is. A very vague description of a very strange book, series of books. Um, and there's also like weird things throughout the book that has like links to the number 23 as being like the ultimate number because apparently it's the law of five because two plus three equals five and five is significant for some reason i i didn't go into it i was like i could go down a very deep dark hole here or i'm just gonna end up reading the books and there's also the significance of sheep but that'll come later on I feel like I'm just like starting this with such weird stuff. Everyone's going to be like, what on earth is going on? Um, they were formed in 1987. And with a, within a week, they'd recorded their first single. Wow. Yeah. So they were straight on it. In this duo, they also assumed alter egos. So uh, <laughs> Bill Drummond, I feel like every band should do this. Bill Drummond named himself King Boy D. <laughs> And <laughs> Jimmy named himself Rockman Rock. I love that. Yeah. So that would be. I think that would be mine. Maybe we should have alter egos. Hmm. I have a think. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe Rockman Rock is already taken. Oh, that's that's actually got in. I f- I do feel like yours could be vampire related. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> are you trying to call me a goth? <laughs> No. <laughs> Vampire McFampy face. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Sorted. Okay. Yours got to be I like just... Bristolian. Oh, yeah. I just. Yeah, anything really with an R in it. <laughs> <laughs> just lots of R's. Um, we'll come back to that. Oh, I'll mind map it. <laughs> Okay, you let me know. <laughs> so their first single um, was called All You Need Is Love. And that, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, it does sound familiar because um, it was actually a sampling of the Beatles song of the exact same name. And also um, a song called Touch Me, I Want Your Body by Samantha Fox. So, th- I mean, it was heavily sampled. I listened to it and it was like, Surely this is breaking some kind of <laughs> copyright law. Because it was basically just a rip-off of the Beatles song. And the, basically they ended up not really being able to release it because 
the label feared that they they would have so many lawsuits that they wouldn't even be able to do anything about it so they had to like re-edit it and stuff and release it and they basically re-edited it within the boundary but just basically pushing it as far as they could it still sounds massively like the original um but i don't know how they've got away with it i think they also they still really did release the first one and they just like sent it to they sent like the discs to djs and stuff to play so i think they they did go a bit um under the radar on that one and then yeah they were kind of a bit chaotic in the way that they promoted stuff so um to promote their music they usually just like defaced billboards (laughs) and they would just like spray paint stuff and they would like put like full page ads in the newspaper of like random stuff that wasn't even relevant to their music but they had like quite a few controversial things like linked to them back in the day so that single then actually gave them enough money to then go on to do an album in june of that year um and the album was called what the fuck is going on (laughs) (laughs) which i think is a great album title (laughs) i wouldn't question it if someone released that now i'd be like yeah yeah fair yeah (laughs) i feel like someone's quarantine album could be called that (laughs) maybe that's what mine will be (laughs) so yeah they on that album they included like quite a lot of different songs and they were very they basically just sampled other people's songs and like rapped over it and i was listening to some of them and you know you just can't believe that that was like music (laughs) at the time (laughs) But it's just like this really Scottish guy rapping all kinds of nonsense, basically. But on the album, they had a song called The Queen and I, which heavily sampled ABBA's Dancing Queen. (laughs) Absolute banger. And um, this actually started like a massive legal battle with ABBA. Oh, God. So they actually, in the end, they actually had to withdraw the album from sale because ABBA were like, no. And I listened to it and oh my God, it literally, it is just ABBA, like Dancing Queen. And then it like cuts and he like raps for a bit. And then it just plays Dancing Queen again. I'm like, how do you, how did you get away with I that? I mean, they have well, they didn't. Yeah. And it's like, in even in the song, they're like, have you ever met ABBA? Like they have this conversation in the song and he's going, no, but I'd love to meet them and all this kind of stuff. It's it's quite funny. But yeah, and it's just like a remix of them being like, dancing, dancing queen. (laughs) Which is great. But they did try to speak to ABBA. So they actually both went to Sweden with an enemy journalist and photographer in the hopes that they would get to meet ABBA and be like, guys, like, look, can we come to some kind of agreement don't take our album off sale please but they never got to meet ABBA and they actually took the remaining copies of like the LP with them so they had loads of copies of it and once they couldn't meet ABBA they just set fire to most of them in a field and just let them burn I mean and then you got a holiday to Sweden out of it (laughs) yeah yeah and then on the on the ferry home uh they chucked the rest of them overboard (laughs) So uh, they obviously weren't weren't too happy. Weren't very environmentally friendly either, by the sounds of it. No, no, they didn't really care about the environment so much in '87. So yeah, that that was um, the end of what the fuck is going on the album because it couldn't be on sale anymore. A little time after that, they then released two new singles, again sampling. One of them sampled Whitney Houston's "I Want to Dance with Somebody." Another banger. They're choosing all the bangers to. <laughs> sample gotta admit but 
apparently Whitney wasn't too fussed because uh, apparently her like manager at the time actually got in touch with them and was like, oh, would you be interested in like producing or remixing Whitney's like new album? Oh wow! Um, but I don't. It doesn't say if that ever happened, but it said they got like the offer too. So I don't think they ever did it. But obviously Whitney was way cooler than ABBA cool. about the remix. <laughs> <laughs> and then off the back of those two new singles it actually led to them releasing another album and that album was called who killed the jams another great name and that was released in early 1988 1988 even and it got five star reviews what? everybody loved it it went down very well and that was that was kind of the end of the jams for a bit so they did all that kind of stuff and um they stopped but it wasn't the end of the duo because they then reappeared as a band called the Time Lords. (laughs) And yes, it does link to Doctor Who, as you're imagining. Oh my god. Because later in 1988, they released a novelty single called Doctoring the TARDIS. (laughs) They're really just trying to get as many lawsuits (laughs) as possible, aren't they? It feels like that. It really does. So yeah, they released Doctoring the TARDIS as the newly formed band, the Time Lords. Uh, the song is a mashup of the Doctor Who theme song. Better not do that, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please don't take this down. Um, uh, Blockbuster by Sweet, which I didn't actually know that song. And Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter. Controversial. Not <laughs> we won't go choice. into that. Obviously, it was fine at the time, but... Uh, not so good now so yeah it was a it was a mashup of those three songs and the duo actually said that they they didn't like write the song it was uh it was their car that wrote the song their ford galaxy american police car who had given them instructions on how to make the song and when they got interviewed they didn't interview the time lords they interviewed the car Uh, don't ask i couldn't find the interview i mean (laughs) Yeah, it's credited that to, sounds the, like to the car. Some sort of like serial killer. The car told me to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what. I, I think they were just obviously taking the piss because it was a like a bit of a parody single. And uh, actually, the song went to number one. It actually got <laughs> a number one. And all of the like reviews of the song were like oh, how terrible it was, and the fact that it's so bad that it obviously will go to number one. But wow. it, I mean, it is hor- horrific. They they go like Doctor Who, <laughs> Doctor Who, Doctor Who, and they just like basically shout all of that stuff. But they even went on to Top of the Pops to perform it with Gary Glitter. I'm sorry, he gets a few <laughs> mentions in this. Um, <laughs> and um, it sold a million copies. So it went to number one in the UK and New Zealand. It got in the top 10 in Jeez. many places in Europe. I think it would like got to number two in Australia. And yeah, they went on top of the pops to play it, uh, which is hilarious. The performance is just brilliant. They're dressed up in these like huge coats and hats and they're playing the guitars and they've got loads of drummers and and they have like a little and then within the song they say like exterminate and all this kind of stuff <laughs> so they've got like a little um dialect as well which yeah it was a good watch um <laughs> and then 
later that year they actually released a book called the manual how to have a number one the easy way <laughs> i mean they've cracked it they cracked it the <laughs> yeah so that they claim that the whole idea of the song was well we just want a number one just because we think that would be quite funny so they just basically set out they were going to remix doctor who uh, the theme song as like a house record but when they started doing it it didn't really work out so they just <laughs> ended up with this mashup but the book is a step-by-step guide on how to cheat how to achieve a number one without any money or musical skill <laughs> at least they're honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and some of the quotes from it were quite funny um one of them was uh if you're already a musician stop playing even better sell the junk <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. And it also actually goes on to tell the future, basically, because they go on to say in the book that uh, in the future, the Japanese will have created technology, which means that you'll be able to make music from your own home and there'll be no need to go into a studio. They predict garage band. <laughs> basically, they did. They predicted garage band. So you got to give them that. And once the, that kind of book was released, it was quite successful. Like it sold quite a lot of copies and obviously people just bought it as a bit of a joke. People, there is a few bands that credited the book for future number ones. So yeah, there were bands that said they followed the step-by-step guide and ended up getting number ones. Whoa. So it was, and it was people who had like sampled stuff. So that was obviously, maybe I should buy that maybe book. Maybe I'll buy it for you for Christmas. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> just chuck out all of my guitars (laughs) (laughs) don't need any of that so yeah that was kind of the end of the time lords what a shame but then that started a whole new chapter again this is where the klf begins oh god i forgot there was even like another bit (laughs) yeah oh trust me it goes on there's more so the klf were formed in 1988 klf stands for copyright liberation front and it's copyright with a k oh. obviously <laughs> that pains me <laughs> yeah and in march um of that year they released a single called burn the bastards and they said they were changing their direction from like sampling because they didn't want to be known as like the band that just like samples everything i mean that's all they've done so far <laughs> Yeah, so they wanted to get away from that apparently and show that they could release music. So it was just pure dance music. So it, I don't think it had any kind of lyrics or anything. It was just pure like dance, like trance music. And they kind of released a few albums throughout uh, 88, 89, but they weren't really doing very well and they had to abandon loads of projects. They started like a project for like a film and a couple of albums, but they kind of abandoned them because they were worried that they were going to go bankrupt and the money from uh doctoring the TARDIS was running out (laughs) (laughs) so yeah they they kind of stopped for a bit and then in 1990 things kind of turned around a bit because they released um some new songs and they actually started like charting so they released a song called 3am eternal and that reached number one in the UK Uh, they had a couple of other ones that reached like number two number five number ten all that kind of stuff so they were charting like quite a lot and like in between that as well the timeline is a little bit weird but the they released another album that was kind of a bit more of like a chill vibe called Chill Out <laughs> and uh, true to its name. Um, and this is where like sheep start to come in as uh, from the link from the Illuminators trilogy, because on the front cover of the album, it's just a load of sheep. And in the track listing and all that kind of stuff, they credit all the backing vocals to sheep. 
<laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Uh, so that's the kind of beginning of sheep coming into all of this as well. There'll be more on sheep later. Exciting. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> After they'd had quite a, like a lot of success, um, they'd been charting loads. They were like, happy days. We got loads of money again now. So they then released an, uh, one of the albums that they had originally abandoned uh, called The White Room. They did some like reworking and um, it, they released it in March 1991 and it got to number three in the UK. So it had all the kind of singles that they released and stuff. But in 1991, they actually became the biggest selling singles act in the world. Oh my God. Yeah. So they were a big thing at the time. And like even... I think they start even started like getting a little bit famous in America and stuff, but they were like more famous in the UK, obviously, and like, Australia. Yeah, with the sheep, <laughs> Wales love them. <laughs> so yeah, they uh, that was like the release of their album, and then in 1992, on the 12th of February, they were invited to play at the Brit Awards. Oh, what a step up in the world! <laughs> yeah, so uh, they were actually nominated for a couple of awards, and they won best british group that year although i i think that they actually tied with another group i can't remember what the other group was called now um but i'd never known anyone to tie that's weird on a win so i don't know if that's happened before and it was the beatles (laughs) (laughs) yeah klf and the beatles (laughs) after they absolutely robbed them for all you need is love (laughs) so yeah they uh, uh obviously yeah they got to perform and um they were actually the opening of uh the brit awards but they decided to perform their uh hit single number one single um 3 a.m eternal not not doctoring the tardis unfortunately that's a shame (laughs) and they also got a band called extreme noise terror which is uh, they are as terrifying as they sound um apparently they're a grindcore band which i believe is a mixture of heavy metal and um hardcore punk oh it's all a bit scary to be honest i think i've seen a few of them in my my (laughs) time (laughs) and um yeah so they performed this song called 3am eternal the duo had had actually originally they wanted to do a bit of a stunt because they were a bit fed up with how the music industry was going and it was already commercialized and all this kind of stuff so they wanted to make a bit of a statement so they had originally planned to throw buckets of blood over the audience during their performance, right? But then obviously BBC were like, not sure about that. <laughs> so then they said, oh, can we disembowel a sheep on stage? No, but that's our plan B. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, what, what about this? And then obviously also rejected by the BBC, but also rejected by Extreme Noise Terror because they were vegetarians at the time. So fair points made. Yep. And then Bill from the KLF said, do you know what I could do? I could chop off my own hand. (laughs) This was a genuine suggestion. He was going to chop off his own hand live on TV. Again, rejected by the BBC. That's so so surprising. (laughs) So they were like, right, what can we do that's like really outrageous? And they actually said that they like, they really wanted to basically be banned from the music industry and like try and get it so that a comeback would be impossible so they really wanted to exit the music industry with a massive statement well obviously the bbc had loads of things like you cannot do this but they settled on 
at the end of the performance i mean i watched the performance and it is chaos absolute <laughs> chaos and um he like even um bill drummond like he starts laughing halfway through his rap because he can't believe how ridiculous they're being it is hilarious and you just see everyone in the audience is like oh my god like what is going on and um at the end of the show uh, at the end of the performance with a cigar in his mouth bill drummond picks up a machine gun and fires it into the audience but obviously it's got blanks but he picks up this machine gun and he just like fires it <laughs> but uh yeah there was lots of shot faces i think i'd actually wee myself <laughs> yeah yeah but it was yeah it was blanks in the gun jesus and then the curtains closed and over the kind of pa system there was an announcement that declared the klf have now left the music business which i thought was pretty epic (laughs) very cool yeah and then later in the evening so it turned out that they'd already got the sheep that they were planning (laughs) on (laughs) disemboweling let them go so (laughs) and they'd already killed it (laughs) poor sheep and uh they dumped the dead sheep with a message tied around its waist saying i died for you bon appetit and they dumped it outside of the entrance of one of the after parties <laughs> which is just oh god it's just outrageous but um yeah so that happened later that year their award randomly was found buried in a field near stonehenge <laughs> some persons like stumbled across their brit award so i'm not sure what the significance of that is there was nothing ever said on that apart from that someone found it so yeah that was um the brit awards and then um officially on the 14th of may of 1992 the klf announced their retirement from the music industry and the the deletion of their entire back catalogue so they said there would be no future releases from any of their associated acts time lords the jams klf and also said that because they felt like the industry was so corrupt and it all gone too commercial they decided to delete their entire catalogue so you couldn't get any of their stuff none of it's on i can't find any of their like original stuff on spotify or anything so i think it's still to this day it's very hard to track down some of the stuff i only managed to find a few things through youtube which look like they've been uploaded slightly illegally but um i won't i won't write them out um so yeah that was that was the end of klf but it wasn't the end of the duo this goes on (laughs) because um in 1993 the following year they started the K Foundation. So um, this was actually an arts foundation, so not related to music, but they they participated in a lot of arts and media projects, including like releasing random cryptic full page ads in newspapers. They like doing that. Um, one of them said like abandon all art and loads of stuff. That's a bit weird. Yeah, they also used full page ads to advertise a new charity single of K Sarah Sarah but they in the advert it said the single was available nowhere in no formats and it wasn't planned for a release until world peace had been established 
<laughs> which is quite funny. They also created, as part of the K Foundation, they created an award called the K Foundation Award. And it was for the worst artist of the year. So it was created mocking the Turner Prize, basically, that's for the best art- artist of the year. Um, and this was in 1994. And the Turner Prize money is 20000 but the K Foundation Award was £40,000, the prize money. Where'd they even get that from? I think they just made loads of money as, like, KLF. Like, they they seem to just have, like, a lot of spare money to just blow on, like, advertising and all this kind of stuff. And sheep. And sheep, yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> Obviously, this kind of created, like, a lot of controversy. They were saying how, like, they were basically taking the piss out of art and saying that the best artist was also the worst artist so they gave the award to the person who won the turner prize and she so she accepted the turner prize in the tape and waiting outside were bill and jimmy (laughs) with this other guy in a mask giving out like waiting for her to come out to give her this award Apparently she came out and she was like, I, I don't accept it. Like, she was really embarrassed. And you're like, 40 grand. Yeah, and then they were like, oh, well, you either take the 40 grand or we set fire to it right here. And it had, like, been coated in petrol and stuff already. So she was like, fine, fine, like, I'll take it. And, like, there was loads of people out there, obviously, waiting for her to come out. So she took it and then she said, oh, well, I'll just donate it to needy artists. So, yeah, th- that happened. And it caused, like, a massive like uproar at the time there was like I think still to this day like she's probably still a bit bitter about it because her name was Emily I didn't write her name down for some reason Emily Whitehead or something like that and she won it for something called it was like a piece called House and it was like a concrete cast of a Victorian house I think but yeah she obviously wasn't too happy about receiving it um, and the Turner Prize kind of people who arranged that weren't too happy about the bad press and it, like it was it was kind of 50-50 the press some of the press said it was a, like a brilliant stunt and then some of them said it was just a stupid prank that you know they think they're trying to be like all clever and funny so it kind of went down two different ways but then in August 1994 uh, they, they'd been doing like art projects and they'd had stuff in galleries and uh, I don't think it was going so so well so they had this like um, project that was they they nailed a million pound in cash to a board and I think they thought it was gonna be like way more popular than it was so in yeah in August 1994 they decided to go to the Scottish island of Jura um, and burn the one million pound they burned one million pound in cash and they said it was their all the money left that was like it that was all their money left from their past projects klf jams time lords jeez all of it um and they actually like the there was another guy that was with with them that he says to this day he really really regrets burning it like he said that it was a stupid decision and that the original plan was to actually burn the forty thousand pound in front of this emily whitehead artist to make a bit of a statement and burn it outside of the tape but because it didn't end up going ahead they just decided to do this but apparently yeah they have a bit of regret about that so yeah that was um the k foundation and that they went on to do other 
weird stuff but that those were the kind of significant ones worth mentioning because otherwise i literally will be here for hours uh telling you about them all and then if you fast forward to 2017 the jams make a comeback well after saying they wouldn't (laughs) yeah so on the 23rd of august 2017 23 years after they burnt the one million pound jam return and released a novel called 2023 a trilogy so you'll notice i said 23 quite a lot then 23rd august 23 years after 2023 and they also released the book 23 seconds after midnight that's very uh taylor swift yeah, she's she's on uh, on thirteen, isn't she? They've just uh, gone with the twenty three, um, but obviously links back to the Illuminatus trilogy of the significance of the number twenty three. But the book was described as uh, metafiction that addresses the internet's takeover of reality, the power of capital, and the myths of birth. I mean, again, read the plot summary, no idea what's going on. And I couldn't understand the word of it. Um, Quite a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> yeah. I think both of them were like, really, the thing they loved the most was writing. Because like I read quite a lot of things that Bill Drummond said that he never really planned to like release music in the beginning. He just wanted to be a writer. So obviously, he finally kind of got to do that. That year, they also... Oh no, sorry, the following year, in 2018, they also announced something called the People's Pyramid Project which this is really weird. I, I just, it's so strange. So they announced that this pyramid would be built from bricks that contain uh, 23 grams of human ashes. <laughs> Don't ask me why. I, I couldn't find any background on why this was a thing, but apparently it's a long-term project and it will it's ongoing to this date of it will be built at some point. So I'm sure it'll be in like 23 years time or something <laughs> significant oh, like that. It's 2021, so you've got two years to wait. Well, there you go. Maybe that's what it is. So that's kind of them up to date, but in the kind of gap of, so I kind of went did a massive jump, so 1994 to 2017, but they didn't really do much within that gap. They kind of went in separate ways. Bill did like random art projects he started something called no music day which wasn't really that popular i think there was only one town in australia that did it where they didn't listen to music for a day i don't know if i could do that (laughs) no that'd be really hard i don't know why you would want to do that but apparently it was for some kind of appreciation of music maybe to show you how bad your day would be without music i don't think i've actually ever gone a day without listening to it even when we're on like holiday whatever you usually yeah. like, end up playing something or like singing something. Yeah, yeah, it'd just be, or just, it'd be a terrible day. Well, I guess the last holiday we were watching Vines. <laughs> oh yeah, that was the thing. Crying. <laughs> oh, Vine. <laughs> Bring back Vine. That's the only way to save 2020. Bring back Vine. I don't want any of this TikTok business. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, he kind of released, uh, yeah, he did No Music Day and he did some spoken word projects, released more books, blah, blah, blah. Jimmy uh, also did some art projects. One of his things was featured at Dismoland, actually, Banksy's thing. So he's done a, quite a few like more popular art things. And he was also, throughout this, he was a member of a band called The Orb. So they're like a dance group and they they like constantly tour. So they've been on tour loads. They've, like, they're due to come to Bristol, I think, next year. So if we want to oh. go and see Jimmy. <laughs> uh, but I think The Orb were quite like a popular band back in the day. 
um, if you were quite into dance music and stuff. So throughout all of this, he also was part of the orb. So, I mean, these guys are the kings of multitasking. <laughs> I, I They had so many projects on the go at the same time. It's quite unbelievable. But yeah, that's that kind of is it. So uh, the last thing we heard from them was about the People's Pyramid. So um, yeah, we'll wait and see on that one. But that is the journey of the duo that is Jimmy Courty and Bill Drummond and how the KLF began and ended. What a story. Time for this week's listening to this. Um, I think I went first last time, so why don't you kick us off with your current? My current? I think my current song is Promises by Exes. Oh, not heard of that. Nor have I. It, I think is it X's as in like the letter X apostrophe S? No, it's E-X-E-S. Oh, okay. I have no idea who they are, but I think they were on my like Discover Weekly. And it, Classic. It reminds me of, uh, it sounds a lot like Churches. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like almost like that vibe. techno, but not techno. It's like, yeah, I know what you, you know mean. What I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Churches have that kind of vibe. Yeah. Okay. One to explore that maybe they were put on your Discover Weekly because you listen to churches. Yeah, I haven't listened to them in a long time. Wasn't a huge fan of their last album. I, I, yeah, I didn't really like their last album. What's the one that's got like a blue cover that has like the mother we share? Mothership. I think it's called Mothership. Yeah, I quite like that one. Yeah, that one. That's a yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Hmm. Yeah, that was, it, they do sound a lot like a lot like them. Like I feel like you would think they were the same. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll have to have a listen to, to them though. What's yours? So my current song is a song called "Bad for You" by Midnight Kids, featuring '90s kids. So I don't think they have any kids. kind of relation. <laughs> um, but uh, this was one that I actually. So there's this band that I love called Hotel Apache, Apache. I don't know how you say it. I love them, but I don't know how you say it. <laughs> and they've just started releasing new music again. They're literally, they're so cool. Like whenever they post stuff on social media, I'm like, you're literally so cool. I want to be in your band. But they released this playlist of like they what they thought were their like pop bops at the, um, at the moment. And I listened to it and basically downloaded every song from it <laughs> um and this was one of them so that was kind of how I found it and it is ex- it's like our kind of vibe it's just a classic like bedroom pop good vibe nice <laughs> uh what's your throwback then right so after last week when you said uh you were listening to she's American yeah I decided to go back <laughs> So but into my, the archives. Into the archive. So mine's Pressure by the 1975. What a song. First album. Classic. Oh, such a good one. It's always one that I'm like, I I never, like, I would never like go, oh, I need to listen to that. Yeah. But then as soon as it comes on, I'm like, oh, such a good song. Yeah, it's just too catchy. Yeah. And if you get a bit obsessed with, like, I got a bit obsessed with menswear again. Oh like God. you know it's just one of those ones where you literally you play it and then you're like i have to listen to it again i'm gonna have I, to that song just takes me back when we saw them last time <laughs> and it started playing you just freaked out there's like the intro of it and i don't think like 
any of our other friends sort of listen to that much. So like when the rap bit started, we were both just like, right, <laughs> it's our I'm time. Ready. This is my time to shine. I think everyone was a bit like, Whoop. <laughs> what are they yeah. doing? Yeah, they were just staring at us like, they're just going off. <laughs> yeah, because it's not one of their like more well-known ones, is it? But I feel like it's very, it's very niche. Yeah. And it's I don't know what it is about the song because it has such a long intro and it oh it's just such a good song. The lyrics are just funny. Yeah, great lyrics. It's about a wedding. Um and yeah, it's just good. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bit where it says, um, he looks just like you but six foot three, so I reckon you, you can knock, knock him, him out. out. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a great one. There's just too many good lines in it. Yeah. What is your um throwback? My throwback is, <laughs> it's a classic. Mine is Drops of Jupiter by Train <laughs> because it came on on uh, when we were driving home from Cornwall the other week and I was just reminded of how good it was. I was just like, oh. And the lyrics, again, the lyrics are so random. Mm. Like, it makes zero sense. But a tune. And it doesn't like, I quite like the fact that it doesn't really follow any kind of systematic way of a song because it doesn't really have any kind of chorus it's just literally him spewing words for like four minutes um but what a vibe that's a great song yeah crack him that was that was some good picks this week yeah great picks this week cool okay well i think that's that concludes uh what what episode are we on eight number eight (laughs) (laughs) so you can listen to us on spotify apple music wherever you listen to podcasts really make sure to follow us on instagram at the listen to this podcast and we'll uh, see you next wednesday yes we'll see you next time bye bye